Hey, folks. I am Dan Kelson, host of Next Future Today and co-founder of PlexiCam.com. My guest today is John Harris. He's co-founder and CEO of Buzzit. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. Yourself? You know, uh, every day that ends in Y, I'm happy to be on this side of the dirt. Yeah, I, I, I could feel the same. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could take like a, a brief like moment outside of reality, but hey, we got, we're all stuck here for the time being, right? What is reality? That's a different topic. Uh, <laughs> Longer show. Yeah. So, uh, so if you have not heard about Buzzit, um, so John, I think you actually, did you reach out to me or did I reach out to you through LinkedIn? I honestly don't recall. I can't remember, Dan. I think we were both commenting on something <laughs> similar and so we checked out each other's profiles, um, sent some messages and here we are. Okay. All right. It. Well, as it turns out, uh, we have a fair amount in common, you know, uh, video being one of them, music being another. Uh, I was saying to John before we were rolling that I have a whole bunch of guitars and basses this way. So what what I found interesting about your background, so Next Future Today is all about if you were going to learn anything, you know, uh, some massive disruption like, say, COVID comes along, and nobody really had a plan for something that's so disruptive across the entire world. Uh, that's like the first time, personally, I ever felt like I was in the same situation as literally everybody else in the world. Yeah. Um, and most people don't seem to plan, period, in companies that, you know, you might have a plan that starts on January 1st. And when the lockdown happened, you know, March, March, April, I asked a whole bunch of people, what are you doing with your business? Did your plan that you had on January 1st still work? Is it, are you still doing that? Or yeah. did you have to do something entirely different? So that's kind of, that's why I thought your story was interesting. But before we get to COVID, post-COVID, can you tell me a little bit about where you came from and what was, you know, why did you create Buzzit? Sure. Um, yeah. So it started as a totally different product. Um, turns out one that a lot of people created in a lot and also failed every single time. Um, so <laughs> had the initial inspiration for the product shortly after smartphones came out. Um, I was at uh, the PE, which is a local festival, had a really bad experience with a food vendor. There's like 50,000 people around. And I wanted to be able to share that experience with those people that were nearby. Um, so just like, just like, Hey, like I got burnt food and it was expensive. Don't waste your time. Cause there was like a 20 minute lineup. Right. I wanted to be able to share that. And I looked at my phone. I was like, man, like I'm connected to my friends and family on Facebook. I'm connected to the world through Twitter, but I can't connect with everybody here on, in this place. And that kind of hmm. seems ridiculous to me. Um, cause it's got sure. GPS. It's got a cell connection. Um, I should be able to do that. Right. Um, yep. but I wasn't. And so that's kind of what kicked off the idea for the product. So it was like a location based messaging product. Um, okay. and I was in university at the time. And, uh, so I started talking to a lot of students and it seemed like the biggest need that I could find being a student was in classrooms. Like, um, people like me had come in from nearby universities, uh, or nearby colleges to this big university where they went from like class of 30 people to class of 400. And all of a sudden I'm in third year. I know nobody, everybody's sitting there silently going home, not talking to anybody. Right. And I was like, if we right. could use that product in the classroom, then it'd be really easy to like build connections based on these shared experiences. Right. Hmm. Um, okay. So we built that product, um, started using it and launching it in schools. It was a lot of fun for a lot of people, but it was also like an impossible business to make right because it was hard to get the <laughs> students onto the product in the first place you'd have to like break into classrooms blah 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 um <laughs> then you and then they didn't want to pay anything so it's like how is it a business it's just like it's yeah. just like fun 
right? Um, right? And so we started using it in different locations and events is where a lot of people started really appreciating it. So this is pre-pandemic. Hmm. This was like um, late 2018, early 2019. Um, and so we were using it as a way to help people just have more conversations at the small events they were going to. Um, so events we were working with were typically between 75 and 150 people. Um, they were some, somewhere from 90 minutes to three hours. Um, and most people would go there. They'd show up because of the content. But the main reason they justified showing up was networking. And yet they had like okay. 30 minutes before the event, 30 minutes after. When you do out the math on 150 people trying to connect with 150 others, that's basically impossible um, <laughs> in, a, in that time period. And so we started sure. using our, our chat system at those events, um, getting to know event creators um, and what their problems were a lot more um, and like started trying to solve, trying to shift our product from being a product built specifically for the attendee to a product that was built uh, also to help the host um, make a better experience for their attendees. And so that's kind of what got us into it in the first place. No, I think it's, it is useful. I mean, there's some little mini pivots in there. Uh, you know, there's classic issues, you know, you can build something like for Plexicam, which is my main business now. I remember when we had sold zero and we wondered, yeah. Will anybody buy this? And it, as it turns yeah. out, it's, you know, now we're almost two years into it. And yes, you know, thousands of people will buy it. That's awesome. But until you, until you actually try to get somebody to buy it, you're, you're never going to know if it's going to work. So you have totally. to have sort of the stomach to do that, right? That's interesting. I mean, there's still kind of not really a, a good solution to that right now. Because, you know, if you do, well, maybe, maybe I'm just behind the times. I, I deleted like location-based apps years ago. So yeah. I don't even know what's out there anymore. But it seems like there probably isn't really a good solution there, for there still like isn't a great solution a... for it. And there, there's reasons like one of the things is like um, if you actually look back at the office, I think that what is it? Toby is um, the assistant in that show. And he invents a product that's kind of similar, but it's, it's called Woof. And it's just like it's like you can send a message to everybody nearby instantly. And so everybody's just their phones is ding, 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 ding. It's, <laughs> it's just stupid, right? Like you don't want to know right. everybody's thoughts all the time, right? <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of a hard, hard system to filter. So I don't think anybody's really created the best filtering system for it yet. And so like now with yeah. our product, instead of being like a random thing that people can use in the audience, it's something created by the host that has a specific purpose. And all of a sudden, all the, the messaging messages that you kind of can get are aligned with the purpose of the event. And it makes a heck of a lot more sense to have that central organizer, right? When I was reading through your site, and uh, you have a lot of great blog posts that I was going through. It does seem like, and I've been in events businesses for a long time. There's a lot of constituents or audiences or, uh, you know, there's communities. I don't know how to think of it, but it does seem, especially through COVID and now post-COVID, there's been like, do sponsors get left out, for example? Is is it only yeah. uh, one one sponsor, the you know the, the hosting organization, whatever it might be. What happens to virtual attendees versus in-person attendees, or virtual speakers versus in-person speakers? It's not it's not often that it's really thought through. How does this work for everybody that actually has a potential say in the event? But it seems like you found something when COVID hit, and through that, that led you in a slightly different direction. Is that? Is that me reading too much into it or is that true? <laughs> uh, definitely a different direction. And yeah, I think at this point we are a good fit for a small group of people. We're looking at the event market. And so 
we didn't even really know about online events until COVID started. But then all of our clients went online and they were good enough to keep using our product where they could and letting us just be attend their events and learn about their problems and interview them and, and like propose solutions. So that's kind of okay. how we got to where we are. Um, but so for them and for the people we're still targeting, it's like they have the choice essentially between a hodgepodge of solutions. So it's like sometimes that's email and spreadsheets. Sometimes it's a streaming provider. Sometimes it's Zoom, YouTube, whatever, maybe some audience engagement tools. And then on the other side, they've got those really big conference tools. And there's basically nothing in the middle um, besides us now. Um, and so we're trying to have one solution that can um, solve all those problems for that, that narrow niche. Um, so if you're running okay. that big conference, you could not use our product. It just simply wouldn't do it. But um, for the for those people running those smaller, kind of more frequent events, um, our product can save a lot of the setup time and then get them a lot better results, both for their their attendees themselves and then their sponsors as well. A lot of people are still trying to do things the old way. And it's hard to blame them because like most, I think most event creators pre-pandemic didn't know about online events. They had to learn mm -hmm. online events um, for the, the next year and it sucked because their budgets were cut. Um, and now they're, they're having to learn how to do hybrid. And so now they're at this point where like they've, there, some of their community members are still demanding online access. Some just want to do it in person. And then so they're trying to bridge the gap with hybrid, but then that's a whole new learning curve. And it's like, I, I don't blame them for not being able to satisfy everybody all at once because their job is three times harder than it was before the pandemic. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And they're they're generally not uh, very tech um, tech friendly people like they, they can use it and they do all the time, but it's not their their reason for existence, right? Like most of them want to be working with people and that's why they fell in love with events. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are not familiar with virtual events. Um, we were all subject to probably universally terrible webinars is, is probably <laughs> the closest that we came to. Um, yeah. Live streaming wasn't really a thing yet um, yeah. for a lot of people. I mean, there's, you know, there have been streamers for a long time, but as a business, means it's it was pretty rare pre-pandemic so for plexicam i still answer a lot of customer inquiries you know pre-purchase post-purchase all that and part of the reason i do that is i want to make sure that we're tied into our clients to find out you know if absolutely we can't claim that we're the solution for everybody because we are definitely not there's no such thing for, for pick a niche yeah. doesn't matter um but i want to know where it definitely isn't a good fit because then we can steer people away i don't you know, I don't want people to buy something that, that is actually not going to be a good fit. And if if it is a potentially good fit, then conceptually, what is the right fit for them? Because we have different products. So it sounds right. like so pre-pandemic, were you really sort of engaged in talking to your potential clients to the oh, extent absolutely. that you were yeah. I was help, helping them run their events? Essentially, I would show up okay. and be there an, an additional a free additional team member. Um, okay. so I was there to, uh, I wanted to learn just directly, like, what are these things that they're doing that, that are taking the time? Like, where are the, where are the gaps? Where are the roadblocks? How can, how can I build a solution that'll, that'll make a lot of these things easier for these people? But yes, yeah, so that's what, that's what it was like pre-pandemic. And then, uh, um, same, same thing online, um, during, during the pandemic as well, getting to know them better and, and their new problems, which was even, even more interesting. These days, it's great. I'm, uh, helping people out with hybrid events locally here in Vancouver, BC. I'm helping people out on site, um, when they want to set up these hybrid events. And it's really fun to learn. It's like the, the stuff that I learned, like some of these things are, they're easy to do if you're doing them your second time or if somebody's just taught you that just did it. But if you're just trying to figure it out for the first time, 
it's just about impossible, right? Or like, you're never going to get it right. And, um, I'm sure, you know, events have this, um, kind of interest, uh, differentiator from any other, uh, event technology has this differentiator from any other product where like, if it fails, if you fail to do it during the event, there's no going back. Like the event, the event happens once a month and sometimes it just lasts 90 minutes. And so you've got that 90 minutes with the hundred people in a room to get it right. Otherwise those hundred people are gone and they're not going to be back until the next month. And maybe they won't come back if everything totally blew up. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, there's a, I think they've said that event organizers for some years have been the most stressful job in the world. Mm. Like as high yep. as like, I think even maybe even higher than like firefighters or like uh, paramedics. Being able to be there on site and see what they're going through really, um, really helped us um, just envision what our product should be and deliver something that was uh, stable and simple. Did you formally study like anthropology or, or anything like that? Or is it just observing sort of how you're wired? For me, I think it was just just my, my observing myself in the world and how I was wired. So I re really had that problem in college of, of making a first connection with people. When we started mm -hmm. doing events and we were pushing our, our chat product, um, I was asking people after the event, um, what's, what's the most, or what were you doing on your phone during the event? Like I saw you on your phone. What were you doing on your phone during the event? I was secretly hoping they were like, I love the chat product. That's what I was hoping for. The <laughs> actual top answer was they were Googling the presenters that were on stage. And so like, okay, like this is number one, like, uh, it'd be great if the host could provide that for you at the time they were providing like some basics on paper, but these members clearly wanted more, right? Could the host provide that? And then like how much more focus could that give the attendees? If like, if you're Googling somebody you just saw on stage, um, Google and then Facebook, if it takes you there, those are the most distracting places in the world. Like, is that what you <laughs> yeah. want your, is that what you want your attendees to be looking at while they're trying to pay attention to the, whatever content you have? Um, right. so the next shift uh, we made was the, the biggest thing that we've worked on. And I think it's still one of the flagship um, things that draw people back to our product is our profile system. Um, hmm. So essentially, in the, in the very basics pre-pandemic, we just replaced paper booklets. That was our first real value creator. Um, sure. And so what was interesting for me and getting back to the where's my kind of background in this is I pre pre us making those profiles, I was the worst networker in the world. Um, so I would be showing up, I'd be showing up early to the events, but I'd be hiding out by the pizza, pretending my phone was really interesting. Um, and then, but, but then during the, um, time when we started, I started manually building those profiles when we just had our, like our really, really basic MVP product out there. Right. I was manually building these profiles. So I was doing all these research and all these presenters and I would come into the event then ready to talk to everybody. That's really was kind of the light bulb moment for me and like how we could, um, actually make networking better for everybody, even if they were that um, pizza hiding wallflower like me. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so I'm just going to mention this because it comes up every once in a while. Uh, do you know Keith Ferrazzi or, do you know, maybe not know him personally, but have you heard of Keith Ferrazzi? No. So he, uh, his first book was called Never Eat Alone. And, okay, I've heard uh, of that book for sure. Huge bestseller. Uh, it's yeah. been rewritten at least a second time. Um, I had just read a chapter or two of that book before I went to an event in Boston. Like every single page has like 20 ideas on how you can get to know other people. And one of them is to literally never eat alone and you go, you know, eat with a colleague that you've never talked to or a client or just a random person. Hey, do you mind if I sit down here? 
And I got to this event right at lunchtime. I would usually try to find a table of two or three people. And then I, you know, if, if it goes great, fantastic. And if it doesn't, yeah, I'll walk away <laughs> shortly and, yeah. and go find something else. But I went up to the fullest table that I could find and I sat down and I was talking to people and I realized that, you know, we had, we already had a lot in common because we were at this event and I knew a lot about that event because I was a, a researcher and an analyst in that, that space. I was like, well, I have things to talk about and I, I know they do. And I actually found a bunch of sponsors or vendors that I, that I knew that I'd never met in person. It was the most productive right. networking event I'd ever experienced. Nice. And it was so simple. <laughs> yeah. And part of it is that is that research. If you can go in in advance, like I don't follow sports. I could care less. I don't know what season it is. Doesn't matter to yeah. me. You know, in, in whatever your space is, if you come with some curiosity and do a little bit of homework so you know what's what is the topic, what are the things that I care about that are maybe controversial compared to what everybody else is talking about. You know, those are those are little hooks that you can uh, either throw out there yourself and, and try to make a connection or sort of, this is maybe a bad analogy, become become the bait for a, for a topic, you know, be known as this is the guy or the person that's interested in a, in a topic. So it sounds like that's the kind of experience that you went through that mentally got you out from the, the pizza eating wallflower or the wallflower <laughs> eating pizza. I don't know which one it was. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that sounds a lot like, and, th and that's why I, I just love events in general. Like, um, if the content is well-focused, then it draws the right crowd. And then, so actually this is interesting. I think, um, I, as somebody that built a networking product for events, I hate networking events. So a networking yeah. event to me is where you'll go and find a realtor and a lawyer and a financial <laughs> planner all trying to yes. sell you whatever the hell their services are, um, right. walking around as fast as they can, handing out business cards. But there's no like other reason to be there other than for these um, professionals to, to show you their <laughs> cards. Um, but yeah. like, I, I really like networking at events that are surrounded by like the draws content, right? Because then like mm -hmm. if you promote the event as like, you know, it's on this topic or that or that topic, the people that yep. show up, they're naturally inclined to have that alignment that you felt sitting at that table at 12, right? And then it becomes conversation becomes easy because everybody's there for the same reason, right? So you were purely, purely on site, purely for people at a concert, let's say, um, in, in the early days, you had to morph a bit through virtual like everybody did if you're going to have anything to do with events because that's yeah. you know, the nature of it. It's that or do nothing, basically. What did you learn that then took you um, and maybe positioned you differently clearly than where you thought you were going to be two years later, but differently as as compared to maybe other competitors that you used to have and now you have new competitors or, or you know, the, the landscape changed and it wasn't just you? Yeah. So pre pre COVID, we were um, just focused on those on site events. And so um, single track speaker events, so like 75 to 150 people, usually 90 minutes to um, maybe three hours, um, and really focused on helping the audience make those connections. It was just a one click, uh, dedicated website that worked really well on mobile. That's all it was. It was like, it was okay. so simple. I couldn't believe that somebody was even paying for it. It was great. But we had three <laughs> local organizations using it once a month and getting really high uh, engagement with it. Um, okay. And then online, like what we became, it was just like, it was just endless. We were living in the hell of our, um, of our customers' lives <laughs> as they shifted into online and we're trying to figure everything out, right? And so through that, I'd say like the first 
you know, four to six months was just like kind of attending their events with them, seeing like how we could help with the product that we did have. Um, and then just trying to, trying to see what was next, like, where's the major roadblocks for you? Um, and we just kept coming up with these, um, kept just realizing that, um, the more people we talked to, the more, um, they had the same common issues. Um, and Mm -hmm. so that was, if they were going up to like the big conference platforms, um, it'd be such a headache. Like if you look at one of the, the best platforms out there is, is Hopin. Um, and it's like, it's built for really big conferences up to a hundred thousand people. Like it said, that's right. like a headline on their website. And right. so that's like, that sounds great. Like, wow, it must be really robust. And yeah, robust also means complicated. And so yeah. to set that up, there's a two week training program for hosts. There's a four hour training program to be a speaker. Like oh my God, if I you're going to be donating your time to like a lot of our, uh, the events we work with, people aren't being paid to speak. They're there to talk for 15 minutes to, to an hour um, yep. to kind of promote promote themselves in some way, right? Um, right but they're yeah. not being paid to be there. So they're not going to take a four-hour training course. And so like the admin that the hosts were having to do, like, like to get these speakers on board was just like they were spending weeks of just speaker onboarding. And yeah. it's like, wow. if, if you only have a three-hour event, you can't really invest that much time right um, <laughs> that seems lopsided and then, so, yeah it's, it's very lopsided and then so they were still getting like really poor show up rates for those events as well because like again if you're if you're running a hundred thousand person conference and your uh people are paying five hundred dollars to show up for three days damn rights they're gonna set set apart that time they're gonna be at their right. laptops they're gonna have their kids at the sitter and they're gonna be ready to attend and engage but if right. you're running a three-hour weeknight event um, people don't want to learn how to navigate a conference platform for a three hour event. They might right. not even be at their desk. And if they can't access on mobile, which they can't on almost every platform, um, then they're just not going to show up at all. That, that was like the problem with the, the platforms is like, you, you know, this is, this could offer something better, but it's like, we just way too much work. Um, right. and then on the other side, people are just dealing with this kind of Frankenstein mess of other, uh, products that they would cobble together. Right. Sure. Um, so sometimes it's like custom websites, um, long email chains, separate, separate, like voting or engagement apps, maybe a webinar tool like zoom, maybe they're live streaming to YouTube. Um, but just like, just never, never smooth, never seamless. Right. It's funny because I've, uh, I've worked with large companies as like a consultant and, you know, smaller organizations and I've had my own businesses the Frankenstein effect is everywhere as it turns out actually yeah. it doesn't matter you yeah. could be a hundred billion dollar annual revenue company and that's that's a Frankenstein situation that nobody wants to touch really because who knows when you pull out the one peg and the whole thing right. falls apart yeah it comes back to that um of just helping everybody like have that have all that stuff in one place and be easily accessible ever by everyone it just makes it um, just so much easier for everybody involved. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so, um, we were working, finding those common problems and then just like, we just kept presenting potential solutions. Like what's the next thing that we can solve. And we do a bunch of outreach to a bunch of people that we could find on Eventbrite or wherever. Um, and just be like, can I talk to you about, uh, some of the problems that you're having and like how this, how our solution might, might, uh, solve it. And I definitely had like, a hundred conversations for every person that ended up trying the product. But from each one of those conversations, I got a little bit of guidance about like what would and would not work. Um, so they were really much more um, like product discovery and like customer interview um, kind of uh, conversations than anything else. And so like another six months after that, we actually had like another 
we actually had a, a new product that would kind of fit this um, this small this uh, niche group of event creators. You know, the idea of of pivoting is uh, an interesting idea, which I don't think you mentioned specifically. I'm I'm just putting those words into your mouth. But you start yeah. out with the idea. You were in college. Uh, if that idea was not actually paying, what's the point of doing that? So yeah. let's find a way to make that work and have it be a, a paid product. Pandemic hits. Uh, you really think, oh, our in-person event platform no longer makes sense because that's not happening. Uh, and yeah. we we had no idea. You know, is it going to be a month? You know, everyone's like, oh, by by oh May, it'll be fine. By September, it'll be <laughs> by next year, it'll be fine. By the time yeah, I die, I it'll be fine. Oh. <laughs> So, and that's part of the point of the next future today is you could wait forever and do something eventually, or if you're going to deal with something that just happened yesterday or today, you should probably get started right now to make that next future something that you've designed, you know, that you've done on purpose instead of just like you got socked in the face and oops, I guess I'll stay down <laughs> until they go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But, uh, yeah, so no, that's, never uh, had that. Never, never wanted to take a break for a second there. Yeah, it's kind of that show must go on thing, right? Um, mm. Which harkens back to event coordinators. Event coordinators are pretty amazing, and they'll they'll see something like light on fire, and they'll be like, "Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> Just like focus on the show." <laughs> right? Yeah, clean that up afterwards. Right? Yeah. What a kind of theme that it comes back to is resilience. Um, so there's like pivoting is kind of how you become resilient, um, but then. Um, for our product and what we've been ended up with today, our event sites allow those event organizers to be resilient. So like if they, if their venue cancels on them and they've already done all this setup, um, then they can shift with our product. They can easily shift to just having an online experience. So I think ideally our company is now at least pandemic resilient, (laughs) but, but we'll, we'll see, um, we'll see what the next future brings us. So. Awesome. Cool. Well, Thanks, John. This is John Harris with uh, Buzzit. Uh, buzzit.ca is is the website. If you have not seen that, go take a look. Actually, trying to trying to shift into video. So, if you want to see um, any uh, more time saving tips, if you really want to save like eighty percent of your setup time, um, check out some of the videos that we have on YouTube. Um, oh, fantastic! Always. Otherwise, book a meeting with me too, and I'm happy to uh, kind of help guide you through simplifying the event process. Awesome. Cool. I didn't know that. So there you go. And that's uh, actually my other podcast is really meant to be more very targeted tips, like five to 15 minutes. So maybe we'll have you on that and we can go a little deeper into what does it mean to be on camera and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, I'd love to be there. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Until next time. Bye.